Welcome to Brain Talk, a podcast about the latest thinking and research in neurology with a specific focus on epilepsy and other seizure-like disorders. The audio used in today's episode comes from an authorized recording of Stratus's live physician webinar featuring Dr. Gretchen von Allman and her presentation on Lennox-Gastaut syndrome, or LGS. This podcast does not include any of the visual elements that were presented and referred to throughout the webinar. To view the full video recording, you can visit our website at www.stratusneuro.com. Let's take a listen as Dr. Von Allman discusses the treatment options available for LGS and reviews ways to identify the appropriate treatment for certain patient types. So in terms of treatment, I don't, I don't want to, I want to make sure we have some time for, for questions at the end. So I'll move kind of quickly through this. Um, the anticonvulsant choice depends on the seizure type. So if the patient is having more tonic or more GTC seizures, then you know some of these drugs that work better for, for these generalized convulsive seizure types or tonic seizure types are going to be more effective. So levetiracetam or Keppra, valproic acid, lamotrigine, leucosamide, parampamil, and there's a lot of choices now. There's more than 30 anticonvulsant drugs. Um, but you can, to some degree, the, the treatment in Lennox-Gastaut, really you have to match the drug with the seizure type. And sometimes that means because there are multiple seizure types, you have to have multiple medications. And you know one drug may work better for one seizure type and not for the other. And so you need a different, a different medication to target that other seizure type. So if they have GTCs as well as atonic seizures, you may need a combination of Keppra or levetiracetam and rufinamide or Banzel to help control both seizure types together. They can also have focal seizures and oxcarbazepine isn't the only drug you can use for focal seizures, but you know it kind of differentiates use in Lennox-Gastaut at least um, compared to these other types of seizures. And then, you know, in, in a patient with Lennox-Gastaut, there's multiple seizure types. They usually don't respond well to medications. Sometimes you need multiple medications to address the different seizure types. And really the, the cumulative effect of that is that you have a patient who's already got an encephalopathy because of their seizures. They're having usually daily seizures or often very frequent seizures and they're on multiple medications that are not controlling their seizures completely. So often those patients are gonna have a lot of side effects from the anticonvulsant medications. And sometimes the side effects can be as debilitating as the seizures themselves, unfortunately. So you can see that we're dealing with a very difficult type of epilepsy to treat. Drugs often don't work well. And you know we're talking about a syndrome that's also sometimes difficult to diagnose. So sometimes one EEG snapshot and a routine EEG is not enough to diagnose Lennox-Gastaut. You really need to capture awake as well as sleep. And you know sometimes it takes a few days to capture all the different seizure types that the patient's having. So um, it's really a syndrome that benefits a lot from ambulatory EEG or prolonged EEG with video. And then a lot of these patients are gonna have intractable epilepsy, like we said, and they often have other neurological disabilities as well. So um, they may have motor delays, cognitive delays, language delays, problems with socialization, uh, and 
And so all of these things affect their their ability to live a full life and have a quality of life uh, and their outcome. So because these patients generally have intractable epilepsy, I was just going to spend just a minute or two talking about the different types of treatments that there are out there for intractable epilepsy. And um, in Linux Gesto, often we really need to think about these other treatment types besides just medications. And on this side, you can just see kind of the, the way treatments are going to affect outcome in uh, patients with intractable epilepsy. So because they don't respond well to medications, medications are here at the bottom. They have a low likelihood of it significantly improving the seizure control. And as you go kind of up the slide, you see other treatments that are non-medication treatments that tend to work better for seizure reduction, but don't always result in seizure freedom. Sometimes the best chances at seizure freedom or seizure control that's complete is when you can do an epilepsy surgery on the patient. They have to be good candidates for that. So um, a workup is, is required usually in an EMU and with multiple different types of tests other than just um, scalp EEG monitoring with video. So treatment options have to be considered on an individual basis for these patients because each patient with Linux Gesto may have a different cause for their epilepsy and they may have different findings and different seizure types um, that need to be targeted. And so what treatment options can be considered depends on a variety of factors, including what their etiology is or and what what the most problematic seizure types are. And then there are other issues that, that might affect which treatments are, are chosen by the doctor and the family um, that have to do with the social situation. Sometimes the ketogenic diet is a very um, strict diet that some families have a very hard time following for social or other reasons. Um, sometimes if there's cognitive impairment, the child you know, is mobile and doesn't realize or doesn't understand, oh, I shouldn't eat things with sugar in them. Um, and so if they can grab those things and they eat them, then the diet is kind of out the window. So, and then there are some issues like problems with swallowing or problems with breathing that make things like a vagal nerve stimulator more difficult or, you know, may, may be red flags that you need to watch out for if you're thinking about certain types of treatment. Okay, so just a little plug for epilepsy surgery. Um, surgery is gonna be the most effective treatment in these patients and can be the only potential cure. An average patient fails seven anticonvulsants before surgical treatment is considered. That's just kind of all comers for intractable epilepsy. And then, you know, and these are epidemiological um, data that I'm quoting here. And an average patient takes 17 to 20 years of, of having epilepsy before they have surgery. And, um, and then only one in 30 to 40 uh, of the people who have epilepsy and are candidates for epilepsy surgery actually get surgery in the United States. So just to keep that in mind, you should always consider surgery as, a, as an option um, or at least try to see if the patient is a candidate and the earlier the surgery or the intervention can be done, the better. 
in terms of outcome and in terms of their development, you know, in children, especially that's important and their quality of life. Because if, if you can kind of interrupt the constant seizure activity early in development, then the brain has a better chance to reach its full potential and to have language development proceed, you know, along that developmental timeline like it's supposed to. Um, you don't always have to have focal EG findings to be a surgical uh, candidate or to have successful surgery. And sometimes, you know, even if you can decrease the number of seizures the patient is having um, it, with surgery, it can improve their quality of life and improve their developmental outcome and be meaningful for them. So the corpus callosotomy is something that we use especially in patients who have drop or atonic seizures as a very effective for that particular seizure type. So kind of like medications, you can tailor the surgical options to what types of seizure the patient is having and where those seizures are coming from. If they're coming from a hemispheric malformation, for example, and you can verify that on the imaging and the EEG and the seizure onsets, um, then they can benefit from a hemispherotomy uh, and be seizure-free. Um, sometimes if they're not completely seizure-free in Linux Gesto, it's still a win. And then there are these other um, options that also exist. So I want to make sure we leave time for questions. So I'm just going to um, just kind of fly through these slides so that we can get to some of the, the cases. Um, and this is just talking about the, the workup that usually takes place in the EMU to look for, um, to do the different testing that, that can identify candidates for surgery. And then this is, these are some of the techniques that we use to determine where the seizure is coming from definitively before a surgical resection. So they can have stereo EEG placement, which is what this child here is having, or grid placement, which is done less often nowadays, but um, still has a place in, in workup for epilepsy surgery. Um, definitely don't wanna have this at your office, but, um, and then, we talked a little bit about the callosotomy being helpful for atonic seizures um, and the hemispherotomy. And the VNS and RNS are also not, um, the VNS is outside of the brain, uh, whereas the RNS does require brain surgery to place, um, but those can reduce seizures by about 50 to 60% in most patients. And then let's just look at a few cases and then we'll go to questions. So this is just to keep in mind as we go through these cases. So case one is a four-year-old who has intractable head drops and right-sided tonic seizures, had non-accidental trauma when, when he was seven months old, uh, resulting in a subdural hematoma and a stroke. So that's the cause of the Linux gesto. Um, has developmental delay, has right hemiparesis, so there's some focal findings that indicate that there's focality to the injury causing the Linux gesto, and there's slow spike and wave on the EEG, 
um, and an ictal EEG onset that is not really very helpful in terms of localizing one area where the seizures start. Oops, sorry. So this is just a snapshot of the different findings for this patient. You can see on the MRI that there's a difference between the right and the left hemisphere. The left hemisphere has this injury that we described just now. You can see on the top two uh, EEG pages that there are findings that we looked at earlier in this talk that are consistent with Lennox-Gastaut syndrome. On the right here, you see this slow spike and wave pattern that we've seen before, very characteristic and typical uh, of two hertz. It's not; a, it's an interictal pattern during wake. And then during sleep, you see these same discharges, maybe slightly higher amplitude and maybe with a little bit of electrodecrement there. Uh, and at the bottom, you see a tonic right-sided seizure um, that is somewhat similar to the one I showed you earlier in that you have um, arm stiffening, a jerk, and then you have this slow spike and slow wave pattern that, that develops and evolves over time. And then on the right, this is the component of the seizure where there's tonic stiffening. And so you see some lower amplitude, fast activity, um, and then the seizure stops you know, after just a few seconds, 10 seconds or so. So this patient ended up having a hemispherotomy. So this, the, the left side was disconnected in the front and the back and a temporal lobectomy was done. And these patients actually do surprisingly well, even losing that hemisphere or losing the function of that hemisphere. So after five years, the patient was, has been seizure free um, they are left-handed, so they because they've lost the left side, you know, they have some right-sided hemiparesis that might be a little bit worse than before the surgery. And but the patient has developed language and is in life skills class in their in their school. So for a patient with Lennox Gastaut to not have any seizures um, is is a pretty significant outcome. Um, whereas we know if this child didn't have that surgery, they would still be having daily seizures and probably would not be talking. So this case two is a three-year-old boy who had infantile spasms when he was eight months old. Um, prior to eight months, had had normal development. Uh, genetic workup had been done and nothing had been found. Uh, the other, the, all the other tests didn't didn't reveal a, a cause or an etiology for the infantile spasms. And then at 20 months old, already is starting to have this generalized slow spike wave pattern on the EEG. Um, and so this is, you know, just before two years old. So they're right at the cusp of the diagnostic age where you can diagnose Lennox Gastaut. But when you have infantile spasms and then you start to see the slow spike and wave pattern, you know, that's kind of where you're headed. And then as daily atonic head drops are developing and the tonic seizures during sleep, you know, at, at two and a half or two years old, you can already make the diagnosis of Lennox Gastaut. So at two and a half years old, he had been started on rufinamide, which is one of the drugs that I mentioned is very good at controlling head drops or atonic seizures. Um, but, and then he's developing a new seizure semiology. 
And this is a typical pattern for children who have Lennox Gesto in that as their brain changes with their age and, and brain de development proceeds, you have kind of a, a, an evolution of the types of seizures that you see. And some seizure types can come and go, you know, over that, that time spectrum. So first came the infantile spasms, then came the head drops or the atonic seizures. The atonic seizures we get under control with, with the medication. And then he develops a new seizure type, which is staring and unresponsiveness. And then some leftward eye and head deviation. So there's some focal semiology there. And you know those, those last for five to 10 minutes, which is a pretty long time for a seizure. So, so these sound more like focal seizures that have impaired awareness and um, are lasting quite a long time. And then some of them will progress to having the right-sided clonic activity um, up to 30 minutes long. So this is, an, uh, this is a patient who's having focal seizures with secondary, secondary generalization that are prolonged and really are at this point would be defined as episodes of status epilepticus and require intubation and treatment in the ICU. So we've already had one, two, three different seizure types. And this third seizure type is, is very problematic. Multiple medications were tried. And so the, a phase one evaluation in the EMU was done, which you know often will do video EEG monitoring. Sometimes you need to take these patients off their medications, which we usually do in the hospital. But sometimes, you know, if they're having daily seizures and you can capture all the seizure types with the medications, that can also be done at home with an ambulatory EEG study with video. Um, the PET study showed uh, decreased uptake over the left parietal occipital region. And then when we got a detailed MRI, you can just see this kind of subtle change here compared to the right side. So this is right side of the brain, this is left side. And you see this abnormality here, which really looks consistent with a focal malformation of the brain or a cortical dysplasia. And then we got what, what's called a MEG or magnetoencephalography study that helps us um, kind of show on the MRI images where the discharges are arising from um, using their magnetic fields to localize. And you see that there's a cluster kind of in the left posterior quadrant here. And there's, you can see the cluster here again, it's all kind of in the left posterior region of the, of the brain. And then this I thought was interesting because we can do something with MEG called um, visual field localization and the patient sees, you know, either flashing lights or like a checkerboard pattern. And you can, you know, map one visual field, you know, versus the other. And both of his visual fields are represented on the right side. Usually you would have right visual field representation on the left and vice versa. This guy had managed to put both of his visual fields on the good side of his brain. So, and then the yellow is where the the seizure focus is uh, as far as we, we would presume because that's where the interictal discharges is, is originating. So 
and surgery conference. We went over all the different data and decided to do a resection of that left parietal area. And there was cortical dysplasia, which is a finding that we often see with a brain malformation that happens before birth. And this child is, you can see on the MRI that that area was removed. And three years after resection, you know, the patient is doing much better and that they're not having those prolonged seizures anymore, not getting intubated. And, but they are still having some seizures that are brief, fairly short anyway. And the patient has autistic features, has a modified learning plan. And then eventually it turned out that this patient did also have a genetic abnormality. So let's, um, I mean, in conclusion, you know, I think that you can see that Lennox-Gastaut is a, is a complicated diagnosis, but fairly common. And, you know, there are a variety of different findings on the EEG that, you know, are very characteristic and can really help you understand that that's what the patient has, as well as the seizure types that they're experiencing. Both of those can be captured fairly well on a longer, you know, a multi-day video EEG study. Um, and, you know, there are a variety of different treatments. Medications usually don't work very well, but it's always, always important to, to think of what other options there are available to treat these children. This podcast was brought to you by Stratus, the leading provider of ambulatory in-home video EEG testing. For more information about Stratus, please visit our website at www.stratusneuro.com.